This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Morning, church. Um, just before Randy Elgersma comes to, to read the, today's scripture, let's pray together corporately. Father, we thank you that we can gather in this place. We thank you that um, we can pray together and knowing that you hear our prayers and when one or two are gathered, um, you hear our prayers, Lord. We pray for the, um, those who are sick and shut and not able to be with us today, Lord, that you would guide and direct them, be their peace and comfort and that even in this time that you would uh, help them, show them, Lord, what, what is your will in their lives and that they would be able to accomplish that purpose. And um, we pray as your word goes forth today that uh, it would fall on good ground, Lord, that we would, you would guide and direct us by your spirit, that your word would speak to us. We know that when it goes out, it accomplishes a mighty work. Work in our midst today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. Today we're going to be reading from Matthew 11, 1 through 19. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. We're still still in Matthew's gospel. You may have noticed a a new bulletin cover. Um, It's because we've changed the focus now as we go into this next chapter. And we're going to focus on the heart of Jesus. And today we'll look specifically at Jesus' heart toward John the baptizer. John was the the forerunner of Jesus. He was 
preparing the way before his public ministry. John's ministry and baptism was one of a call to repentance. He wanted people aware of their sin so that they would see their need to repent in light of the coming Messiah. We learn here that John is dealing with doubt. So maybe if if you're in a season of doubt, maybe this is a good message for you this morning. But even if you're not, we all come across times of doubt. So don't tune out. Here's, Here's our outline. When doubt sets in, Jesus' response to doubt, and doubt versus unbelief. Okay? Let's get started with when doubt sets in. So Jesus had finished his instructions to his 12, and now he goes to preach in their cities around Galilee. Look at verses 2 and 3. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, we see that John is in prison. He's in prison because he called out the sin of the leader of Judea, King Herod. We see that John has doubts about Jesus being the Christ, God's anointed one, the savior of his people, the the Messiah. And this seems actually quite shocking, doesn't it? The one chosen by God to prepare the way of the Lord, John, is doubting whether the Jesus who he was preparing the way for is the promised Savior of God. This has been so shocking that many have promoted other ideas to dismiss this thought that John had doubt, such as, well, maybe maybe John's disciples were the ones who doubted, and John was just sending them to Jesus to kind of erase that doubt. We must not read something into the text of Scripture just because we don't like it or it makes us feel uncomfortable. There is no hint that it was not John who had the doubt. So why did doubt set into John's mind? We are given some obvious clues from the text to help us answer that question. First, John may have had a misconception about the complete picture of the Messiah. We get that hint from John's uh, premise for sending his disciples to Jesus. Look at verse 2 again. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Now, when John heard about the deeds of the Christ, why would the deeds of Jesus, what he was doing, cause doubt in in John's heart? Listen to this quote from John the Baptist back in chapter 3 of Matthew's Gospel. 
Matthew 3, 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John, John preached about holy fire. Right? The Messiah would bring judgment. This is judgment language that he's talking about here. And John was not hearing of judgment in the deeds of Jesus, was he? He was hearing about how he was using his authority to heal and forgive, but he was not hearing about judgment. He was not hearing about unquenchable fire. John's focus in his ministry was repentance from sin. And, and he was right to say that judgment was coming, but Jesus would first offer mercy and grace to those who saw their sin and the condemnation that it brought them. This first reason for doubt is still true today. We often develop doubt because we have misconceptions about Jesus. We will, we will look how Jesus handles this first catalyst for doubt in the next point. But let's move to the second reason why John began to doubt. And the reason was because of where he was. Now when John was in prison. Prison is not a place of hope and confidence, is it? Further, prison during this time period is not like prison today. It's far worse. John would have been physically, emotionally, spiritually depleted. Our, our body, mind, and spirit, they don't run independently from one another. And that's why, that's, that's why like, when you get tired, you're more likely to be grouchy, right? One affects the other. We're, we're interconnected. John is not immune from this, and, and neither are we. Doubt in our lives can be rooted sometimes in what's going on in our life and how it's making us feel. The other fact is that John might not have understood why he was in prison. Right? He, he knew he knew what got him there, but why was he still there? Why hadn't God delivered him from this bondage? You can see how that would open up his heart to doubt about Jesus. We'll look at how Jesus handles the second catalyst again in the next point as well, so we better not delay. Let's, let's jump into the, the second point. Jesus' response to doubt. So in this point, we'll take the two reasons for John's doubt, see how we can relate to it, and see how Jesus responds. His response will show us God's heart toward doubting John and toward our doubt as well. So let's look at the first response to doubt, and we'll label it according to the cause. The first cause 
got a sub-point for you today. Misconceptions about Jesus. So Jesus responds to John's doubt concerning his deeds, right, the lack of judgment, by teaching him, perhaps what he already knew. Verses 4 through 6. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So John's disciples here have the opportunity to see and hear Jesus, to see his deeds, to hear his words. And Jesus summarizes what he has been doing and saying. Jesus is doing wonderful healings and he's preaching good news to the poor. In Jesus' summary of what he's doing and saying, he is making reference to both Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. This is what the prophet Isaiah said would happen when God would come. Exactly the deeds that Jesus was currently doing. Let me put up that second passage from Isaiah, chapter 61. Verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. It's the judgment at the end of verse 2 that John was not seeing. After all, he was in prison, not for a crime, but but a comment, and suffering unjustly for it. And this passage is the first passage that Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth. Let me read that account recorded in Luke's Gospel. It's found in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he, wrote, and he stood up and read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So when Jesus read this passage, did you notice that he stopped short in chapter in verse 2? He left out the and the day of vengeance of our God. It's not because he got tired of reading. He purposely left that out. 
What Jesus knew was that his current mission was to proclaim the Lord's favor or grace. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus was ignoring scripture. The day of vengeance of our God will take place, but that day will not happen until he comes again. Jesus' first coming was in humility and to offer grace. His second coming will be in glory and will bring judgment. Right now, my friends, these are the days of grace. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and King and be secured in His grace before judgment inevitably comes. Jesus teaches John's disciples that his judgment is graciously delayed for the sake of his amazing grace to be seen and accepted. It's the only thing that can allow us to escape judgment. When we have doubt like John, it often stems from the same kind of root, like a misconception about Jesus. Those misconceptions can often be linked to what we are personally going through. John was unjustly imprisoned. We, we might be accused of something false or slandered. We might be treated unfairly or cheated. We might call for justice because of that and maybe not get an answer. When something unfair happens in our lives, we might doubt God because we know he's a righteous and just God. The truth is that God delays his judgment. Judgment will happen. All will be made right. All will be judged one day. But right now it's delayed so that all might have the chance to come to repentance like you and me. We must go back to God when we have doubt so that we can receive the truth we need. John's question that he sent with his disciples is, is helpful in seeing his heart, John's heart. Like, Look at the question again, verse 3. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Or shall we look for another? We're often looking for another because we have placed ourselves in the center of the universe and we don't like what God has said. If you are not asking this question but already looking for another God who agrees with you, it is, it's because we're not having doubt at this point but pride and selfishness. We are placing ourselves above God. <laughs> That's different than doubt. We must bring our doubts to God knowing that he is able and willing to answer these questions for us. Also, the church is a place where you can bring your doubts. Doubt is a natural part of life 
for the believer or, or the person searching for God. So those doubts and the, and the people that have them are always welcome here. I like how scholar and apologist Oz Guinness describes doubt. He says, doubt is not the opposite of faith, nor is it the same as unbelief. Doubt is a state of mind in suspension between faith and unbelief, so that it is neither of them wholly, and it is each only partly. So don't fear your doubt, but like John, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. He's not threatened by it, and he does not condemn us for it. Maybe somebody needed to really hear that this morning. Your doubt has not condemned you. The second cause for John's doubt was his poor circumstances. So let's call this cause of doubt poor circumstances in life. Jesus responds to how John would have been feeling in prison with encouragement. He responds by encouraging words. Look at verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Okay, so, so, so picture this. John's disciples like, have their answer. Okay, are, are you the one who's to come or should we look for another? So John's disciples are leaving to go and report back to John. But as they're leaving... Jesus starts speaking to the crowd about John the Baptist. So you know John's disciples, once they heard that, uh, let me tell you about John, all of a sudden their ears would have perked up, and they would have probably slowed their pace down a little bit. I'm listening on this here. What's he going to say about John? And here's here's what they hear, starting in verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. So so Jesus says, John was not some some reed blowing around in the wind or some spoiled king living in softness. He's, He's a prophet who stood firm in his calling. In fact, he was more than a prophet. What did Jesus mean by that, more than a prophet? Verse 10. This is of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So John was more than a prophet because he was also fulfillment of prophecy as the forerunner of Jesus. And then Jesus says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus describes John as the greatest human being, but then adds that the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
This, this is a little hard to understand, but it simply means that John was the greatest in this point of history because he got to point people to the coming Messiah. But we get to point people to Jesus on this side of the cross and resurrection, the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. We can point to Jesus with even more clarity than John, who had him right in front of him, about to start his public ministry. John willingly decreased in order that Jesus would receive focus and increase. He, he actually says that in John 3.30. He must increase. I must decrease. We need to do the same if we want to become great in the kingdom of God. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. We need to decrease, and Jesus needs to increase in our lives. What does that look like for you right now? Finally, Jesus says this about John. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. The kingdom that Jesus is ushering in is not welcomed in a world that loves darkness. It's fought against. It suffers violence. That's why John is in prison, and Jesus, and that's why Jesus said, to his apostles that he sent out, you're going out like sheep among wolves, guys. Jesus said, John is the last of the prophets pointing to the Messiah. He is the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah, as was foretold in Malachi chapter 4. So, Jesus has just said how unshakable and rugged John is as a prophet, more than a prophet of God. He said he is the greatest human being ever born up to this point in history. He is the climax of the prophets and the one who was to come in the spirit of Elijah. Arguably, probably the greatest Old Testament prophet. You know John's disciples would have shared these words with John, don't you? Can you imagine how encouraged John would have felt, even in prison, hearing these words? He was probably beaming when he heard these affirming words from Jesus. When we as the church respond to someone's doubt with True encouragement, not flattery. We give them what they need during that time because times of doubt produce worry and depression and low views of our, of our worth and faith. If you don't have the answer for someone's doubt, give them encouragement because they need that just as much as they need the answers. Consider how Jesus responds to doubt. Not with harshness or condemnation, but with the proclamation of truth 
and encouragement. He welcomes John's doubt. And he welcomes our doubt too. That's Jesus' heart toward us who are struggling with our faith. He doesn't shake his head, but lovingly gives us what we need and then encourages us in this difficult time. Let's look at our last point. Doubt versus unbelief. In this last section, Jesus shows what unbelief looks like as opposed to doubt. Jesus starts with a little parable, verses 16 and 17. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Then Jesus gives the explanation. I like when he does that, so we don't have to figure it out. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So John, the Baptist, is playing the funeral song, and Jesus is playing the wedding song, and the majority of people are not responding. The overall result of John and Jesus, as we learn now and we'll see later in Matthew's Gospel, is more passing interest than permanent change. This is not doubt, but unbelief. Many had their lives invested in the current status quo and would not give it up so they take offense because their world is being threatened by John and Jesus. They said John had a demon because he was not eating and drinking like everyone else. And they said Jesus was a glutton and drunkard because he was befriending those who were classified by society as sinners, people you don't associate with. <laughs> they refused to hear the song of mourning and the song of joy that each was playing. The reality is that if they would have understood John, they would have understood Jesus. John called out sin that produced sadness and repentance, but then when Jesus came on the scene, John proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus would be the sacrifice for sin so that our mourning could be turned into dancing. Many want to hold on to their sin because they think it will bring them the joy that they want in life. Many think that Jesus will bring not a song of joy in their life, but a song of burden and gloom. This is unbelief. Not even a consideration of the message. Can I tell you that your sin will not bring you joy? You will never be satisfied by it, no matter how much you indulge in it. And Jesus will not bring you a burden and gloom, but a new joy and peace. If you're in a place of doubt, 
That's okay. Keep moving toward Jesus. He's not threatened or disappointed by your doubt. Ask him questions and know your questions will not be judged but welcomed by him and his church with both truth and encouragement. Let's pray together. Father, doubt gets a bad rap in Christendom. So thank you for this passage of John the Baptizer. At this point in history, the greatest man who ever lived and his doubt. And thank you for how Jesus handles it. Lord, it gives us encouragement when we have doubt to know that you're not condemning us and that there's nothing wrong with us. But in fact, it can make us draw closer to you and can grow us in our faith. So, Father, if there's someone here who's struggling with doubt, would you, would you encourage them this morning with these words, just as Jesus encouraged John with his words? But, Father, for the one who is still in unbelief, Lord, these are the days of grace, and they will not last, for judgment is coming. Pray that they would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, taking themselves off the throne of their lives and putting Jesus in that rightful spot. Work as only you can through the power of your spirit, we ask. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.